right, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Romans, please. One of the difficult things is when you're studying through a chapter and a book, there is just so much. I got far more material to preach than I got time, and that's just the way it'll always be. Uh, Last week, uh, I started talking about this aspect of being separated unto the gospel. We know in Romans chapter 1, verse number 1, it says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Several things we looked at last week in relation to that. We looked at what really constitutes a, an apostle. Hopefully you've uh, believed that, that there are no apostles alive today. Amen. Uh, their office is closed. They laid the foundation for the church. They're not building the walls. We're building the walls. Amen. And the foundation is complete uh, so you've got to be careful because there's a lot of movements out there that are trying to continue laying foundation. So what they're trying to do is continue laying extra biblical revelation. Uh, so with the office of apostle is also the aspect of new revelation. And if they can convince you they're an apostle, then they can also convince you, hey, God told me something. And so they're trying to still lay more foundation when that's not really our job anymore. We as a local church now have the responsibility through pastors and teachers and evangelists to actually build upon the foundation that's already been laid. And you'll see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, so last week I talked about the messenger of the gospel. We talked about the Apostle Paul and, uh, you know, how he thought that becoming a servant was the most important thing. Paul, a servant. And uh, that, was, that type of servant is not one that is paid, uh, that is one that is given their lives willingly, becoming a bond slave to that particular purpose or, per, uh, or person. And that's what God, God wants from us. He doesn't want us to be held to being a servant. He wants us to freely give ourselves to serve the Lord. And that's why in a church, you know, uh, like this, you'll, you'll never be forced to serve God. What we do is we operate and use those that have surrendered to serve. Amen? So you come to me and say, Pastor, I, w- I want to serve the Lord. Like, is there something I can do? <laughs> you know? I mean, you're not coming with a list of this is what I will do, this is what I won't. But you're saying, you know, as a bond slave, I want to give my life to do what the Lord has for me and however the Lord leads that way in the local assembly. And if you present yourself like that, the Lord may all of a sudden use you like that. But if you have too many qualifiers in there, he may not, amen? He's looking for a blank slate. He's looking for a blank piece of paper with your signature on the bottom where he fills in the blanks. But if you're filling out all the qualifiers, he may not sign that bottom or or pull that through, amen? And so let's be a servant the way the Lord wants us to be one. So we looked at the messenger. Number two, let's look at the mandate, the mandate. So it says, separated unto the gospel of God. The word separated means to mark off. It means to define a boundary or a limit. And so Paul was separated or marked off for a specific thing. That is what he is for. That's what his life was supposed to be. Now, Paul was separated to the gospel of God. This means 
that Paul was totally given to everything involving in getting the good news of the gospel to lost souls. This isn't just meaning I'm going to go and witness to somebody. This isn't just meaning I'm going to go give out a gospel tract. I mean, it could include that. But what he's talking about here with the gospel of God, he's saying, I'm involved with everything that is involved with getting the gospel to people. That's what I'm separated to. Um, Paul, you got to understand this. What, what did he used to be before he was saved? They called him a Pharisee. Do you understand that the word Pharisee means separated ones? So I thought that was interesting. So now Paul is telling the church, I'm separated unto the gospel. But before, in his position in that religious society, he was a Pharisee, which means he was a separated one. But something tells me what he was separated to as a Pharisee and separated to after salvation are two completely different things. Yet it's interesting because they're somehow tied. Can can you turn me down just a little bit there, Ben? Um, They're tied together. They're tied together, but but they're not the same. And I want to share this with you today, what, what this, I think this means. This separation that the Apostle Paul had as a Pharisee was mostly about appearance, to be seen of men, not about the heart. Now, in Matthew 5, verse 20, this is what it says. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. These men would walk around town and people would look at them and say, whoa, these are the religious elites. These are those that live a separated life. And they look at that and they regarded them very highly in their society. They would never speak an ill word against a Pharisee. But it's interesting that the Lord, when he comes on the scene, he says, if your righteousness is not going to become more than their righteousness, you're not going to heaven. So what in the world does that mean? Can you imagine these people watching these Pharisees walk around like they're, they're great religious people. They live this holy, separated life to the law of Moses. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, if you're not more right than they are, <laughs> you're going to hell. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> Paul's mandate used to show himself as a law keeper. And not only that, but to force others to keep that same law. And so it was a matter of coercing people and putting pressure on people to obey the laws of Moses. Paul's mandate changed to help people understand that they're actually lawbreakers and that there is no human way to keep the law except through Christ. That's a different thing. So before they looked at these Pharisees as this is the the example of righteousness and the Lord says there's no righteousness there at all. He's not looking at it the same way. There's something different about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and what the Pharisees were promoting. The Pharisees were promoting an external 
This is what it looks like. This is how you need to look. This is how you... And folks, acting right, talking right, doing right are all important things. But that is not your righteousness. That's not where it begins. It's got to go beyond that. The Pharisees were under the delusion that they were keeping the law of Moses, but did not see that they themselves were actually failing. And this in John 7, verse 16, it says, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. See, that's why Jesus didn't come uh, with his own reputation. He came of no reputation. He never once came to defend himself. But he spoke a lot about his father. (laughs) Amen. He glorified his father, which is in heaven. And so, then he goes on to say, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? And then they got offended. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus sees their heart. (laughs) He knows that there's murder in their heart. He knows that these Pharisees want to destroy and kill him. And he says, hear you say that you follow the law of Moses? And he says, don't you realize that none of you are keeping it? You're all lawbreakers? See, without the transformation of the gospel, our hearts are stained with sin and corruption. No matter what we look like outwardly, no matter what you put on this morning, if you're lost in your soul, what you do on the outside won't make a lick of difference. The gospel isn't about what happens out here first it's what happens in here amen it's a transformation in matthew 23 verse 27 it says woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for ye are like whited sepulchers which indeed appear beautiful outward but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness whited sepulchers that means you are a grave that is painted white on the outside but is full of dead man bones on the inside i had someone send me a uh a uh devotional calling me a pharisee (laughs) i thought that's interesting and i'm preaching on it you know and so folks a pharisee is one that is putting all the emphasis on the outside and no emphasis on the inside And that's what these these guys were doing, these Pharisees. Let her be. Let her be like you care. (laughs) Paul's life was separated to the gospel by helping churches. So now we understand what this difference of separation. So the Pharisees were separated ones. Paul says, I'm separated. They're both separated. But what are you separated towards? I mean, sure, the Pharisees are wrong. And this, they're lost and they're going to go to hell. But folks, are we separated unto the gospel? Are we separated to the gospel of God? Are we wanting to fulfill God's plan? That's why we're here. 
You're here for that purpose. You're not here to build an empire. You're not here to build a bank account. You're not here to get the, get the best job you can possibly get and keep making a lot of money, even though that may happen. <laughs> you are here as a child of God to continue the work of God in the gospel. That's why you're here. Why are you here this morning? Well, because you need to go to church. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but not only that, you're here because this is a part of your training program. This is how you get prepared to be used by God in the gospel ministry. That's the way I look at it. Amen? So when I'm here <clears throat> and I'm preaching, I'm not just here to fill some time. I'm looking at these people and saying, each one of these, if each one of these would give their lives to the gospel of God and be separated to it, can you imagine what we would do for the cause of Christ? But usually, and it's sad to say, within a congregation, it's perhaps only 5 to 10% of the people actually take seriously the ministry of the gospel. It's, that's true. <laughs> now, I'm not doing that to, to whip you, <laughs> you know, because I was probably one of those 95 at one point too. But what I want to do is, is motivate you and inspire you to desire to step out and to be a part of what God wants you to be. I want that transformation to take place in your life. Amen? And that's why, that's why the pressure comes through the preaching. The Bible says that the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. Endure means carry the load. So that means that sound doctrine is like carrying a weight. Doctrine has weight on it. And a lot of people, they don't like the weight. I'm here preaching, but don't put anything on me. Well, I'm sorry, but when the sound doctrine comes, it's going to be a weight on you. <laughs> it's going to weigh down on you, and you're going to have to choose like Jesus did when he endured the cross, despising the shame. You will have to choose to endure the cross and despise the shame. So it's never easy being under the teaching of the word of God, but it's necessary and you need the pressure and the weight to motivate you to go forward for God. So the weight will either drive you to do more things for God or the weight will drive you out the door. <laughs> and the Bible says they will not endure sound doctrine, but they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Oh, that preacher, he's just not what he used to be. <laughs> Maybe not. But you know something? It's probably not the preacher. It's probably the weight of the doctrine. And I shut it out. And so the Lord doesn't speak to my heart anymore. That's what happens. Amen? And so Paul was separated to the gospel of God. Paul knew that the success of the gospel ministry had much to do with the success of the churches that bore the message. This is why Paul wanted to go to Rome in the first place. In Romans 1, verse number 9, it says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Why do you think Paul wanted to come unto them? Well, I just want to spend some time. You have a good time. Go see the sights. <laughs> Rome, <laughs> you know. No, that's not why he was interested in going to Rome. He knew that there was a church there and the potential to reach souls was great. And he says, I long in my heart to come 
and be a part of that ministry and to help you go further for the cause of Christ. That's what he wanted to do. So how did he do this? How did he establish? How did he help these churches? Number one, he prayed for the churches. Romans 1.9, it says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Can I tell you something? If you want to be an important part of what God is doing here, can I ask you to pray for the church? Pray for us. Pray for the church. Make that an important part of your prayer list. You know, many times uh, we're at home, we're having family devotions, and we have prayer time, and I pray for my family and all the things, you know. My kids always say, pray for our spouses. (laughs) I pray for their spouses that don't even know yet. Amen. Hey, that's important. We're praying for their future mates before we even know them. Because they're out there somewhere, they need to be prayed for. And so I, I like that. But I don't know what their motivation is, but mine is that, you know. And so we're praying for the spouses. But I'll tell you this, and it, it hits my brain every time. As I'm praying for the family, all of a sudden I find myself, oh, Lord, help our church. Help our families. And sometimes I feel bad. I say, maybe I should just be praying for my family during Bible time. I can't help it, man. <laughs> I just can't. You can ask my family. Our prayers always start with family go towards the church, and then I bring it back to the family again. Oh, folks, we need to pray for one another. Pray for me and my family. Oh, we need that. You need it. You need to do it for one another. We're living in a day and age where Satan is preparing to set up his final kingdom on earth. The Antichrist is just in the, in the wings here somewhere. The devil wants to destroy homes. He wants to take Christians out of the will of God more than he ever has in the past. He is so wicked and evil, and he wants to destroy what God is doing. And if we're not praying, he will do it. This church can be destroyed if we don't pray. So let us pray for one another. Amen? Pray for those families. You see someone struggling, pray for them. You see someone leave church, pray for them. Hey, Satan has their clutches in. Pray for them. They need prayer, amen? They don't need you. You're not their solution. God is their solution. Get with the one that can solve the problem, amen? He will do it. Pray, 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 pray for the church. Pray for God's people. Number two, be thankful for the church. This is what the apostle Paul did here in verse eight. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He was thankful. Folks, if we lose our spirit of thankfulness in the house of God, you have got no future for the Lord. Thankfulness is the biggest part of a believer's uh, characteristics. The Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus concerning you. That means the moment you can no longer give thanks, you are out of the will of God. Wow. The Apostle Paul, whenever he talked to a church, he always brought out the fact that I thank God for you. And you know what? We could use some more of that in this church. We could use some more people going up to other people and say, I thank God for you. Not just on Thanksgiving. Amen. Every week, 
Go up to somebody and say, I'm thankful the Lord has brought you to us. I'm thankful that you're doing well. I'm thankful that you're faithful to the house of God. Be thankful. The moment you lose your thankfulness in the house of God, you've now become a weight to the work of God. A wet blanket. Something that's zapping the power and the strength of the house of God. You've got to maintain your gratefulness. So, well, I don't like this place. <laughs> Why are you here? Amen. <laughs> I'm taking for granted that you're here, you're thankful. And if you're, if you're here unthankful, there's something wrong with your head. And your spirit. You understand that? Folks, get thankful. Be thankful every day for the house of God. Thank God every day. Thank the people of God. Go to them every time you see them. You see somebody in the store. I love that. The more our church grows, the more influence we have, the more often you're going to see people in the superstore. That's a great thing. Isn't it wonderful when you're walking down, you don't know anybody, also you see somebody from your church? Your heart ought to just explode. You ought not run to the other aisle, by the way. <laughs> Man, we know we got problems. Amen. But you ought, you ought to be thankful for the people of God. Some of you are laughing, I've done that. I was wondering, I was wondering who all these people were. The <laughs> The pastor's there. <laughs> Number three. And, and by the way, why was he thankful? Because their faith was spread throughout the whole world. You know what I'm grateful? When I hear testimony of how our people here are, are being good testimonies to the rest of this world. I am in this area to reach this area. That's important. That means every one of us have an obligation to present Christ in a proper way to the people around us. You know that the church is not just about this room. The ministry of the church is this whole area. What you are outside these walls is just as much business for us as it is what you are inside the walls. And if you're being a bad testimony out there, you're hurting the cause of Christ. In fact, you're probably hurting it more than you would be if you'd be that way in here. And you'd be hurting it in here too. You understand that? But sometimes I think people think, well, I'm going to pretend I'm good in the church house as we meet. Then I'll go live the way I want during the week. (laughs) You got it all wrong. The church is about preparing you for the battle tomorrow. (laughs) Tomorrow morning, all of you you are going to put your socks on. You're going to get up. You can go face this world. You need to have the word of God in your heart. You need to have thankfulness on your heart. You need to face your job with the right attitude. That abusive employer, whoever it may be, you've got to learn to handle it. Because the Bible says that we ought to be ready with an answer to every man that asketh of the hope that lies within us. Why would they ask you? Why would they ask you? They would ask you because they see that you get hit and you get pummeled day after day and you continue following God. You continue having a right attitude. You continue saying, hey, let's be faithful to the things of God. To them, that's an enigma. To them, that is something that they don't understand because they are completely motivated by the way they feel and about the situations that are around them. So when you stand as a rock, when everything is crumbling... 
Your witness is not just about you going door to door. Your witness is about them coming to you. Saying, why do you have this hope? You're coming here this morning to get an answer prepared. Amen. Got to be ready. Establishing the church. It says Romans 1.11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. Established means to stand, to set fast, to fix firmly. My heart and other pastors' hearts and any good solid church member in this church, their heart as well is that this church becomes established and stands and sets itself fast and firmly fixes itself in the doctrine of the word of God. That ought to be in your heart. That ought to be in your heart for everybody in this room to establish them. And that's a big responsibility. It's not just the pastor's job. I know I carry the, the, load more, the biggest load of that. <laughs> the Bible says he's given us pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That's my responsibility to bring you to a place of perfection, to maturity. So I got to tell you what you need to hear. For the work of the ministry, so you can go do the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ, so the body of Christ can be built. So I'm supposed to preach, so you get perfected, so you can go do the work, so the body of Christ can be built. That's the plan. Amen. Established. Colossians 2, verse 6, it says, As, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk ye in him. Remember our theme two years ago. Boy, time flies, amen. Walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith as ye have been taught. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. It's amazing how that thanksgiving is always there. So it doesn't, what it's saying is, it doesn't matter what you think you know or how much doctrine you've learned. If you're not a thankful person, you're pretty well useless. You've got to be thankful. You've got to have a thankful heart, you know. And the devil's working hard to steal that from us. In 2 Peter 1, verse 12, it says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. That was Paul's and Peter's heart. It's to establish these churches. That's my heart. Number four, unifying the church in faith. Romans 1.12, it says, That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul says that he's comforted together with them as they have a mutual faith. Mutual faith. You ever hear of the interdenominational, the interfaith services? Or the multi-faith? <laughs> Folks, that don't exist. Biblically, there's one faith. One Lord, one faith. There's one thing God has said to all people and one thing he meant when he said it. Amen? There's not everybody's perspective of that. And it's okay, you have your perspective. That's how Bible study goes today. You sit around a table, you say, so what does that passage mean to you? Well, it means this to me. Well, what does it mean to you? Well, it means this to me. Well, it means like 10 different things. That's why you got to be careful with the Bible study scenario. 
That's why the Bible says that he's giving you pastors and teachers because you got to come from one perspective. Not from 20, not from 10. Now, it may make you feel like somebody around the table if you're important, but you also may be leading someone astray. Amen? Serious stuff. The church needs to be established. That means right here, these people need to be firmly fixed and stand strong and fixed fast in the truth. Unified. This word mutual means reciprocal or interchanged. That means the Apostle Paul is saying, when I come talk to you, you should be telling me the same thing I'm telling you. And if you're telling me something different than I'm telling you, then we're not unified. (laughs) We don't have the same mind, you see. It's very important that the church has this. Folks, you got to be careful because the mentality today, you'll have people coming in and they'll say, hey, you know, it's okay for all of us to believe different things. That's not the local church. I always tell people, it's like going to the store and buying yourself a can of soup and then peeling the labels off the soup. Say, go ahead and buy one. So how can I buy one if I don't know what's in it? See, folks, there's a label for this assembly. There's doctrine that labels us. And this whole idea of non-denominational, all it is 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 an idea that I don't want to label myself. I want to label myself. I want, to cle- I want you to clearly know who we are. Amen? We've got nothing to hide here. <laughs> I would rather buy a can of soup with the label on it to tell me what the ingredients are than to buy a can of soup without it and then find out later after I've eaten some. Amen? But that's what's happening today. We ought not do that. <laughs> Don't be ashamed of who we are. That's why we have a statement of faith. It's on the website. You can go there and read all of our doctrinal statements of faith. You can know what we believe. Pre-trib rapture, we believe that. Pre-millennial turn of Christ, we believe in the King James Bible being the preserved word of God. You can come here and you can say, well, I don't believe that. How dare you? I say, this is what's in the soup. You can eat the soup. You don't have to eat the soup. But this is the soup. <laughs> Amen. You understand what I'm saying? What we're not going to do is let people come in the church and add ingredients as we go along because that's going to end up being quite a monstrosity of a soup. But that's what's happening today. Unity is based on fellowship rather than doctrine. It's based, they're telling us that God is telling us that we are supposed to unify no matter what we believe. It's not true. We unify because of what we believe. The unifying element is the doctrine, is the faith. It's not because we just want to get along. I love you. I'm not against you. I want well for you. We pray for you. But if you don't want to believe this, this isn't the place for you. Do you understand that? I had one fellow come and he says, well, I don't believe in the King James Bible. I believe it's wrong. I says, hey, you're welcome to come. But just, you're not allowed to talk like that around here. Then he got mad at me that he couldn't argue with the church members about the King James Bible. (laughs) And that was just such a, and I get that all the time. I get people coming in mid-trib rapture. Folks, I got to protect you from that. They they say, hey, I want to be a member, even though I don't believe like you. I says, you can't. 
I love you, but, I, but you can't. Then they get mad at me. That's usually when it's revealed. I had one person tell me after I said, you can't. Well, you're lying to your people. <laughs> well, then why would you want to be a member? See, just by me taking that stand revealed his heart. See, that we have to do that here. This isn't just a hodgepodge of whoever. No, man, we, we, we believe in the unity of the faith. It has to be a mutual faith. And I know talking like this, if you're not quite where we are, you say, oh, maybe I should go away. No, you shouldn't. You should learn what we're teaching here. <laughs> And you should assimilate it into your heart and become a part of the body of Christ so we can together be mutual in our faith. Amen? That's my plan A. <laughs> and that should be your plan A too, just by you walking in the door. Amen? And by the way, any church you go to, if you go to that church, you don't go there and be a thorn in the side complaining about everything they teach and do and so forth. If you're going there, you get behind them. And if you can't get behind them, get out of there. There's enough of the devil around trying to destroy the things of God without somebody in the church trying to cause problems. Amen? I've had people come and complain about their churches. If you don't like it, don't go there. Just leave quiet. Shut your mouth. They believe it. They Put it in a statement. You're not going to go in there and change their mind because you want it different. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you get that. So you have to, when you're discerning, you have to do it in prayer. And I'm not scared of this, folks. I'm not scared of you praying whether you should be here or not. Because you know what I want in this place? Those that God has brought here. I want those that have prayed and said, this is where God has me. Because if God has brought you here, you'll be a faithful person. But if it's just here, well, I'm going to try this out. I'm gonna... Why even bother? Try it out. I'll try this soup before you check the ingredients. Know what's in it. Amen. Know the doctrine. And I'll tell you something. The Bible has told me to preach the whole counsel of God. That means there are some things in this book that will knock you your socks off. Say, preacher, shouldn't talk about that. Well, it's in the Bible. <laughs> I'm going to have to say it sooner or later, folks. There's some sermons I get to, oh, Lord, do I have to? <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow. It's amazing when those sermons come. Those are the ones that God usually uses in a very powerful way. But anyways, this aspect of unity... The faith of Paul and these Roman churches were to be of the same persuasion. And there's a problem when you have someone promoting doctrine that the church does not teach. And can I tell you, it's not just about the doctrine of Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the church. It's about everything that's in the book. There's certain ways we do things here. You say, Pastor, I disagree with that. Well, then you don't believe our doctrine. If it's scripture, it's doctrine. And if you're not willing to submit to doctrine, then you don't believe it. It's not mutual. You get that. Well, I just want the important stuff. <laughs> you show me what's not important. 
Some of you say, well, as long as we agree on the essentials. <laughs> What's essential? Tell me what essential is. You, you, you mark it to get your highlighter, and you mark in this book what the part that we should call essential. I'm going to save you a lot of time. Just say from this side to this side. There is no inessential. It's a lie that's being promoted today by churches to unify people together where they're not in agreement. Because the devil knows if he can create a church that is divided doctrinally, they will not do anything for God. The gospel ministry will fail. And that's what's happening in churches. The only way that you and I are going to see eye to eye on reaching souls and be faithful at it. I'm not just talking about, I'm going to come out and help you this week, preacher. <laughs> I'm talking about, how about you tell me, preacher, uh, till Jesus comes, I want to be faithful to the things of God. Enough of this one-year, two-year trial. What about let's have some Christians that will, will put, their, put some uh, skin in the game here. Why don't we have some people say, you know, as, as long as God doesn't call me somewhere else, preacher, I'm faithful. I'm going to do the things of God. I'm going to be a part of the work of the ministry here. I can't tell you how much that helps people to be able to look at you and know that guy's going to be here. Because when it comes down to it, that is the one qualifier that the Lord puts on everything. And that's faithfulness. You can be good looking, you can be ugly, <laughs> you can be stupid, you can be smart, you can be talented. Maybe you can't hold a tune in a bucket. But you know what you can be? All of us here can be faithful. And that's the one thing the Lord says, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? He's not going to be looking at what you look like here. <laughs> or how He's not going to be testing your IQ. He's going to be testing your faithfulness. Did you stay by the stuff? Did you quit on the work of God? Did you deny yourself? Amen. Romans 16, verse 17 will be done after this verse. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. This is probably one of the most unpopular verses in the Word of God. Because we think there's no way a person should ever be avoided. But God himself, the creator of the world the one that gave us the word of God, the one that gave you breath in your body, wrote that. And he told you that if there is someone that is marked as a divider, someone that is not believing what we believe and is causing problems because of it, and they become marked, the Bible says you have an obligation to God to avoid them. Oh, preacher, you should avoid them but I'm going to keep on trying. Folks, one thing I learned early on in the ministry, because I thought that way, <laughs> I thought people left the church, left the work of God, and somehow 
I'm the one that can fix it after the church has already made their decision on the matter. So the church has tried. They've done what the scripture says, (laughs) followed scriptural what they're supposed to, and yet after that was made and the determination was set, somehow I'm going to go help this person. The only problem was the Lord didn't put me in that scripture at the end of all of that. See, what we don't do, we don't like to avoid people. But the Bible says you need to. And it's not because you're trying to be mean. It's because it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt the gospel ministry. There has to be a division with those that believe different doctrines and do not hold to what we hold to. And I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, you know, but folks, it has to be preached. This is one of those whole counsel of God things. Preacher, don't preach on a Sunday morning. Preach on a Wednesday night. Yeah, but you guys don't come Wednesday night. <laughs> you laugh, I'm not. <laughs> you ought to be there. <laughs> what was our attendance on Wednesday night? Anybody remember? 30 people. You want to get something from God? Come to church. God's people, you pray with us. You spend time as we're going through the deeper things of the Word of God. Book of Daniel. I got live streaming. That's not church. I live stream for people that can't go to church. If there's a way I could shut it off for you, I would. (laughs) Oh, so-so. I have people ask me, oh, so can you see who's watching live stream? Yes. No, I can't. (laughs) Oh, I wish I could. No. No, I wish I couldn't. It's too much on my mind. <laughs> but it does tell me how many in Canada are watching. That doesn't really help. Amen. Anyways, folks, it's so important we catch this mandate. Being separated unto the gospel, it's about this body. It's not just about this building. It's not just about being here. This is the training ground. This is the discipleship ground. So do you have a discipleship program? Start at 11 a.m.? Everybody thinks it's got to be one-on-one discipleship. This is discipleship. You take this truth, and you would seriously consider what I said today. You would have a lot to chew on all week long. Come back tonight. You're multi. You come Wednesday night, you'd be (laughs) trying to push it in. Folks, there is so much truth for us to learn. There are hundreds of sermons you get every year. Imagine if you took every one of those and said, Lord, I want this sermon to change my life. Imagine how different you would become. And I understand it doesn't work like that. <laughs> There's not revival in every sermon. But what it is, it's another brick. It's another brick on the wall. Another brick, another brick. It's building the walls. Amen? It's building the building. <laughs> Sometimes it's such a way where you can't really tell if it's growing or not. Number two, I was driving by this big building. They started probably when I first got here. I remember driving by it periodically. Oh, is anybody even working there? You'll never see workers doing anything. <laughs> you know? All of a sudden you see there's glass. Oh, I guess there's somebody doing something. It just takes a long time, it seems, to put these pieces together. But ultimately there's going to time you're going to drive by and say, oh, there is a big change in that person's life. 
but you got to be there to get the bricks put in. You got to be a part of the doctrinal process, the building. Amen. So let me just ask you to consider that. Wednesday night is not just for the the fanatics. Amen. It's for you. I would love to have a hundred show up on Wednesday night. Sunday night, a hundred. When we were in Kenora, my first ministry, we had, it was a different type of area there. <laughs> you wouldn't have this. I was there eight years, and we got to about 50 people. But those 50 people, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they were all there, every service. To get more was tough. It was a tough northern community. Witchcraft, spiritism, I mean, we dealt with stuff that I had people shaking in the back because of satanic control. And had, uh, I could tell you a lot of stories. But you know what God did? He gave us 50 people that were solid. My desire is all of us here become solid. Not just Sunday morning Christians. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. One of the greatest preachers in the States, Lee Robertson, ever heard about him? He said it takes three to thrive. Three to thrive. Now, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Don't leave because I got you mad now. <laughs> Amen. I mean, if all you can make work is a Sunday, that's great. I'll take you. <laughs> Amen. But can I encourage you? Three to thrive. Well, maybe I'll try too. Okay. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> oh, maybe I'll come to Sunday school. Sold. I'll take it. Maybe I'll show up for half the service. Hey, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Maybe I'll poke my head in the door. I'll even take that. Folks, we've got to start moving forward in our doctrinal stand. We've got to become established. Three to thrive. Amen? Let's follow.